asks for some help, which is one of the reasons why we pray. We pray to give thanks. We pray to confess. We pray to give adoration to God or thanksgiving to Him or to beseech on behalf of another person or to ask for well-being. And so he's praying. And he says in verse 7, two things that he's prayed to God about in Proverbs 30. Two things I've asked of thee, do not refuse me before I die. The first one is about uh, being a truthful person, keep deception and lies far from me. But the second one is about these two things that we are challenged by. He says, give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is my portion. And then he gives these two things that seem to happen to us. In verse 9 he says, Lest I be full and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be in want and steal and profane the name of my God. Basically what he's saying is that wealth and comfort along with hardship and poverty or financial strain both tend to mess with our spiritual well-being. They both tend to get us into a mode that gets our focus off of God and lays out a number of temptations for us. So as we look at the idea of thanksgiving, we kind of roll into that today. One of the things I want to share with you is that two areas of life tend to draw us out of thanksgiving and into attitudes that tend to be ungrateful or unthankful. Or thankless. One is, is when we are comfortable. There's something about comfort and having an abundance and having maybe an overabundance that begins to cloud us a little bit in our minds. Moses warned of that in Deuteronomy. Come with me just for a moment to the book of Deuteronomy chapter 5. Moses warned of this, and he said, very much like Agur, that there is a real danger to abundance. There is a real danger to comfort. There is a real danger to wealth, to sufficiency, to a kind of satisfaction where we're kind of sated. And what, what back when I was growing up, we called it fat and happy. It's just kind of this state of being where you're just full and you're good to go. And sometimes that tends to cloud us. And so, in Deuteronomy chapter 6, Moses warns of this. And getting ahead of us a little bit, but I want to give this more as an introduction, and then I'll put it back in in just a few minutes as we roll through it. In chapter 6, verse 10 of Deuteronomy, it says, Then it shall come about when the Lord your God brings you into the land which he swore to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you great and splendid cities which you did not build. Steve Ortega read this just recently as we were leading up to our capital campaign. And houses full of good things which you did not fill, and hewn cisterns which you did not dig, and vineyards and olive trees which you did not plant. 
And you shall eat and be satisfied. These are almost identical words to Agur many, many years later. It says, you shall eat and be satisfied. Then watch yourself, lest you forget the Lord who brought you out from the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. And so he's, he's warning them that there's this tendency within us that comfort and full bellies and wealth and sufficiency and riches and overabundance tend to kind of cloud our thinking and give us a kind of security that steals away a thankful heart. So you get this warning as Moses is speaking. You get it again in Proverbs. Jesus warned of it as well in Matthew chapter 6. So roll with me into our outline. And uh, Josiah, excuse me, Jared, got a couple of J's up there. Jared, I've forgotten my little thing, so I'm going to ask you to advance my slides for me today. All right, good. Let's remind ourselves of the model home, the thing that we're after in our home and God's family. It's an environment to know God and grow in His likeness and to show others what He is like. That's what we're after. When we talk about a healthy home and a healthy family, this is what it looks like. It's an environment in our local home and our church home where all of us are laboring together that we rightly know God through creation and conscience, through command and through Christ, and that we know Him through the church by the giftedness we share and minister to each other with, and that we grow in His likeness as a result of knowing Him, being formed in His likeness, being light in the darkness as Christ was, being salt in the world as Christ was, and then that in that process, we show others what God is like. They look at us and we can say something like what Paul said. Paul said, be imitators of me as I am an imitator of Christ. So each one of us should be growing in such a way in likeness of God that we could invite people to imitate us as we imitate Christ. And that was Paul's goal in life and I believe it should be ours as well. And We get a lot of examples of that in the New Testament. So let's roll on a little further to number one. Thank you, Jared, for your help. The Bible shows that Thanksgiving was intended to be woven into the routine of life. When you begin to read through the Bible, you begin to notice a pattern that Thanksgiving was a pattern of those who trusted God. And that when events happened, when prayers were given, when there were special times of worship, the whole book of the Psalms tends toward this, that there's this idea that inside of the pattern of life, there was to be this attitude of thanksgiving towards God. In fact, if you'll come over to Deuteronomy chapter 6 into verse 20, you're going to see that Moses began planting the seeds of not letting that happen. He said, okay, there's this danger of forgetting about God. And and so he plants the seed of not letting it happen. And so he says in verse 20, when your son asks you in time to come say, what do the testimonies and the statutes and the judgments mean which the Lord your God commanded you? 
Then you shall say to your son, we were slaves to Pharaoh in Egypt. So we could tell a similar story. We were slaves to sin in the world. And then he goes on and says, and the Lord brought us from Egypt with a mighty hand. We can say, and the Lord brought us out of sin with a mighty cross by Jesus Christ. So we can, we can do just like they did, except we can show how Christ is our ultimate redemption and redeemer. And he goes on and says in verse 22, Moreover, the Lord showed great and distressing signs and wonders uh, before our eyes in Egypt and Pharaoh and all his household, and he brought us out from there in order to bring us in to give us the land which he has sworn to our fathers. So this is a celebration of the salvation of God. So what they did, come over to the Psalms and just jump into maybe one, let's see, 136. What they did to carry out what Moses is telling to the children of Israel, they said, uh, let's sing about it. Here's how we'll do it. Let's memorize our thanksgiving by putting it into song, giving it meter and rhyme, and let's chant or read or hear or sing the things we're thankful for. And so woven into the fabric of the Old Testament and going right over into the New is this idea that Thanksgiving was intended to be part of the routine of life. That it was not a day that you sat uh, sat in a year to say, let's eat all we can and watch all the football we can and sleep all we can. I mean, and I'm 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 an eater. I love Thanksgiving dinner. I'm a dressing guy, and I love turkey, and I talked to you all about that a couple of weeks ago just before we ate. We were all salivating. I was up here choking on my own spit, talking about how good it is, and I'm going to stop now so I don't do the same thing I did last week with sort of a Pavlov's dog thing going on in my head. The fabric, the routine of life is to include regular Constant thanksgiving. It's the thing that helps temper our wealth and it helps to soothe our poverty. It tempers our our pleasures and it comforts our pains. It's intended to keep us from both extremes or either extreme messing with our true worship. So let's go to number two, because I get to talk a little bit more about it. Go ahead, Jared. Thank you. The Bible shows that we need personal and corporate time for reflection on the goodness, grace, and glory of God. Jesus let us know that the Sabbath was made for us so that we could do this regularly, reflecting on the goodness, grace, and glory of God. The goodness, His nature, grace, His Action toward us in Christ and in salvation and glory. The very beauty and excellence of His own person. And we need time to pull back and slow down and reflect. One of the things that Satan loves is for us to get so busy managing either our wealth or our distress that we don't have time to reflect on the goodness, grace, and glory of God. We sit around and worry away our time in our distress, or we pleasure away our time in our wealth, and we end up not 
reflecting on His goodness. I was sharing, I got to go over to Floresville, Texas this weekend, Thursday through Saturday, to work with Matt Keller. I know many of you remember Matt. He's serving as a youth pastor at First Baptist Church of Floresville, Texas. And so I got the opportunity to spend those days with the youth parents one day and then with the youth for two days. And one of the things that, that I was trying to encourage them is to think about how in God's creation of the universe, He has given these tons of hints for how good He is. I mean, the fact that chocolate tastes so good is a hint. It's a hint. It's a hint of the glory of God. Ice cream. If you're an ice cream person, it's a hint of the glory of God. I don't know what your thing is if you're a nature person. It's a hint of the glory of God. All of these things are hints of this glory of beauty and wonder that we will behold for all of eternity. I still love that that Sandy Patty uh, song from years ago. And we shall behold Him. And so the Bible teaches that we need time for personal and corporate reflection on His goodness, grace, and His glory. The Sabbath was set aside for that. That you could, as a Sabbathing person, slow everything down and reflect. And consider His goodness. Read His Word and drink it in and stop and just restfully consider Him. We find that kind of teaching in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. We find that kind of emphasis. Come with me for just a moment to Ephesians chapter 4. Keeping uh, your spot there, we'll probably run back to... Um, the, the passage in Deuteronomy. Roll over with me to Ephesians for just a moment. What I want to do is give you about four ideas, and then I want to give you some things to take home for Thanksgiving week and maybe to ponder beyond, way beyond Thanksgiving week. So here we are, Ephesians. There's something about our mouths that the Bible considers very important. Jesus said that the mouth speaks of the overflow of the heart and that for every idle word that we speak, we'll give an account before God for all the things that we've said. So there's this very important, James says the tongue is a fire set on fire by hell itself. There's a lot of teaching about what the mouth does. And so the Apostle Paul, picking up on all of that doctrine, kind of drops two things on us in Ephesians. One is in chapter 4, verse 29. What Paul's going to say is, here's, here's some balance in your verbiage. Here's some, some things to think about when you get ready to talk to, for, or about anyone. He starts off and he says in verse 26, let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth. That's a pretty good start for us. Let no unwholesome word. The word there comes from the idea of rotten fruit. Something that's uh, past its prime. 
It's gone bad. Now, very often, it's the result of something that's gone bad in your heart. In other words, if the mouth really does speak out of the overflow of the heart, when we say something rotten, it's probably because it started down here in our hearts. And that we've been festering something or wrongly considering something or wrongly worshiping or wrongly categorizing or wrongly prioritizing something. And so something's getting a little bad down in here. It's kind of like, you ever notice when something goes bad in the refrigerator, what happens when you open the refrigerator door? It kind of wafts it into the room, right? It's just a little, it just, and you go, oh man, what is, what is wrong in the refrigerator? Back when I used to fish a lot, uh, I had caught some fish and we had filleted them and I put them in the refrigerator and I forgot about them for a while. And so Sherry, who was expecting at the time, (laughs) you're following me now, she was in that early part of expecting where it's just, nothing's good and... uh, so she looked back there and said, what is this? And she opened it. I'm not even going to say anything else. Every now and then, that's what happens when we open our mouths. Something's rotten. And it's like a refrigerator that's got something bad in it. And we just open it and our breath just wafts into the room just this rottenness. And it's because something's going on. So Paul says it. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification. That means it's going to build somebody up according to the need of the moment. That means it's meeting their needs. And notice what it says, that it may give grace to those who hear. Listen, a lot of times we want to talk because we want to give somebody what they deserve. A thankful mouth doesn't give people what they deserve. A thankful mouth gives people grace. It's very different. So there has to be this understanding. And what Paul does later, he goes on into chapter 5 and look at what he does. He says, well, here's what it looks like. Verse 18 of chapter 5. Do not get drunk with wine, for that's dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Speaking to one another. This is one of those great one another's in the Bible. With psalms and hymns and spiritual song, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord. Notice you're talking to the people and to the Lord at the same thing. And he goes on saying, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father. So here's this glorious conversation. It's not tearing people down. It's not taking the rottenness of our heart and kind of burping it out into the community where Everybody goes, whoa. It is choosing that I'll use my mouth to edify and thank. This is a big challenge for us because we're a society quick to speak. And the Bible says to be slow to speak. And so we tend to do that. And so the We need time to work on that heart. To keep it from burping out these bad things. 
and, 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 and stinking up the room that we're in, stinking up the house we're in, stinking up the church we're in, stinking up our own minds. We have to work on that. We have to tend it. And so we need to step back and take time for personal reflection on the goodness, grace, and glory of God. That should be a regular activity of every one of our hearts through our personal quiet times and through intentional thanksgiving times. Doing things like that simple song, count your many blessings, name them one by one. Count your many blessings. See what God has done. Number three. The Bible shows that we are in danger of forgetting the goodness, grace, and glory of God in His dealing with us. We therefore need reminders to guard our hearts and homes. The danger, go back again to Deuteronomy, and I want you to go instead of 6, I want you to go to Deuteronomy 8, and notice that the theme that was in 6 gets expanded in chapter 8. And in chapter 8, he starts several sections with a warning. So if you go to chapter 8, verse 11, Deuteronomy 8, 11. Way back there in the beginning of the Bible, kind of at the front. It says, beware lest you forget the Lord your God. He says it again in verse 14, then your heart becomes proud and you forget the Lord your God. In verse 19, it shall come about if you ever forget the Lord your God. In each of these things, the warning is particularly tied to wealth, to comfort to security that comes from material blessings. In each of these instances of forgetting in this particular passage, it's the danger of forgetting God because we become obsessed with our comforts and our wealth and and the satisfactions we have in it and and the security we find in it. And so it's it's a warning about our stuff. And so there's this grave danger. There's also several times that we're warned when we're suffering. We're warned about this danger. And in those passages when we're warned about suffering, we have to remember that God allows us to be tested. And so we're told when the suffering comes to do this weird thing. Count it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. For we know that the testing of our faith produces endurance. The Apostle Paul, rejoice always in the Lord. He said that from prison. And so what the Bible says is that there's two kinds of things that we encounter in life that challenge our truly thankful hearts. One is abundance and the tendency to love our abundance more than the giver of the abundance, or to fall into our misery and complaining and grumbling rather than rejoicing and trusting. And so we're in this danger, so we need reminders. So so much of the Bible is written reminding us to be thankful. The passage that Toby read was when they finally set up the Ark of the Covenant in this tent. David got it all set up. And he said, okay guys, we need to hire a minister of music. And so they hired a minister of music named Asaph. And he said, Asaph, write us a tune. 
And Asaph took over, and he and his group write this great tune. He ends up writing some of the psalms that we have. He works for and with David, and we get all of these beautiful things that come out of him. And so what does he do? He says, let's sing a song about thanksgiving, since we are thankful that God dwells among us. And so he writes this wonderful psalm there in First Chronicles that we read about thanksgiving. And they just bubble over with thanksgiving. Thank you for what you did to our fathers and promising this land. And thank you that you dwelt among them and you delivered them. And you're here with us today. Thank you. And it was just thank you, thank you, thank you. It was beautiful. And so we're in danger of forgetting. We really are. And sometimes it's from our wealth and sometimes it's from our suffering. So we're told in both of those to recenter and rejoice and give thanks. The Apostle Paul even says, giving thanks in all things. And so that's a discipline. And so here's what I want to share with you and, and, and bring us to our close and our application. Um, Thanksgiving is not a holiday. It's a discipline. It's a spiritual discipline. It's a choice. It's a rigor. It's a challenge. It's a spiritual warfare tool. So I'll close the points and then give you the rest. Number four, give you the four quick things to take home. The Bible reveals that public recounting of the goodness, grace, and glory of God is a tool of evangelism. Um, I found that thankful people are kind of magnetic. I just, I'm drawn to them. And I've noticed that other people are. I've also found that um, grumblers are magnetic, but they attract grumblers. You and I, by our words, are evangelizing. I remember this particular instance because it stuck in my heart so much. There was a church visit. This is when I was pastoring in Natchez. There's a church visit to a family. Um, and, and they went to share the gospel with this family. So they get there and they begin to share the gospel. They begin getting into the things of the gospel. And, and the people who were there stopped them and, and said something to this effect. I was not there. I got it secondhand. Said something to this effect. Said, tell us what church you're from. And they gave the name of the church that was pastoring. And he said, oh no. I sit in the beauty shop with one of your church members. And if the way she describes your church is what y'all are, I don't want any part of it. The thing that through for a minute, or just really work that through. That's what we call anti-evangelism. <laughs> okay, that's, that's it's the opposite. What we say, how we talk about each other, how we talk about the Lord, how we are thankful in our hearts, these are the ways we evangelize. All through the Scripture, you keep hearing this thing, I will praise your name among the nations. I will tell of your wonders among the peoples. 
What they were talking about was that evangelism is taking your great, big, thankful heart out into the world and letting it flow so that folks go, I want to be a part of that. If their God is that good, if their Savior is that lovely, if their salvation is that sweet, if their future is that secure, my goodness, I want to be a part of that. And so thanksgiving is a tool of evangelism. It is part of attracting people to Christ. Because when people see that Christ is that sweet to you, it's like telling about a restaurant that you ate at. Sherry and I went to a restaurant while we were in San Antonio. We were actually below San Antonio. What was the name of that restaurant, Sherry? Trailblazers? Trailblazers. If you're there, go. So in Trailblazers, uh, they, they lay out this plate for me for eight ninety nine that I can't even finish, and it's absolutely loaded. You know I'm about food. Stop. Okay. Um, and so uh, they lay out, you know what I did? I went out, I told everybody about Trailblazers. I did not have to go to a course to say, all right, Bart, if you want to talk to somebody about Trailblazers, the first thing you have to do is bring up food. Once you bring up food, you find out if they're interested in food. If they're interested in food, and it sounds like they're interested in food, here's what you do. You start with the meat that was served. And you describe the meat that was served, and then you go to the side dishes. Then, after you get the side dishes, you tell... uh, Nobody had to to, to give me a class on how sweet that food was. And here's the deal. I'm going to tell you something. I'll give it to you. We talk about what we love. All day, every day. And if we love Jesus, He's sweeter than trailblazers. And I love to tell people about that if I love Jesus. Thanksgiving just comes out of my mouth for Jesus. Okay, so here are four things I'd like for us to do. Give them to you quickly. Ways I can change my Thanksgiving practices. Here we go. A, add the reading of the Psalms to my daily Bible intake. Get the Bible.is app for my phone or go to www.bible.is and it will read the Bible to me. That's the great thing about this app. You can get it on iPhone. You can get it on Android. It's now available on Kindle Fire. Uh, You can go just to that website if you just have a computer. And it'll just read the Bible to you. You pick what version you want and it'll just read it to you. And it reads it, you can even speed it up and slow it down. I went in and found out the entire Bible in Sophocle, I mean, excuse me, the entire New Testament in Sophocle is now on this app. This little people group we go and minister to, the entire New Testament is in their language with somebody reading it on this app. That's how far these folks are going to get Bible into people's ears. And the Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of Christ. Let's add Psalms to that. And let it enrich our hearts to be thankful people. Just, just nourish in our hearts. So, B, choose an evening routine for my family or myself that specifically practices the individual verbal giving of thanks. Whether that's at dinner family worship, or bedtime, where every person participating speaks thanksgiving to God in the presence of others. Let's make that a normal routine. If you are single, 
Here's what I found out. There's a lot of singles that want to encourage each other. If you are single, try to find another person who's single and y'all can FaceTime or y'all can Skype or y'all can WhatsApp or there's a thousand other ways that you can go and you can spend that time together. Or find somebody in your neighborhood that would be encouraged by giving thanks to God and invite them to your house and give thanks to God. Choose an evening routine for myself. Why did I say evening here? I'm not wanting to substitute our quiet time in the morning. I think that at the end of the day, after the wrestlings of the day, it's just great to end the day with thanksgiving and praise to God. This could include songs, scripture, or just verbally saying, here's what I'm thankful for. Develop that as a culture in our home. Very often, I believe our children are not very drawn to a thankful heart because they've not heard thankful parents. It seems like when we get in our homes, it's like this quiet place of possible complaint. And rather than a place of praise and thanksgiving for all of God's goodness. Letter C. I will choose that for every complaint I want to verbalize, I will seek to replace it with thanksgiving to God. Our hearts are drawn to complain. That's why when you're standing in the grocery line or when you're getting on the internet or when you're turning on the television, you're not going to a channel or a newspaper or a website that says, happy thoughts for the day. Thankful thoughts. We're not going there. Why? We're not drawn to that. We're drawn to them weird magazines sitting there and we're in the grocery line going, I didn't know that. Really? Those sinners. Or we go to the, our, our favorite cable news outlet and it comes on and I mean it's like negative at the top of the screen, negative scrolling across the bottom of the screen, and a negative face in the screen. And it's everything bad that's going on today and how bad it's getting. The whole world's going to hell in a handbasket. What are we going to do? And negative all over the place. And I really believe we've got to fight that stuff back. And I think the way that we fight it back is choosing what we say. And this is one way to do it. For every complaint I want to verbalize, I will seek to replace it. In other words, if I can put the brakes on fast enough... When I started to say, man, those oh, scriptures that I read yesterday were glorious. Yes. And amen. <laughs> if we can stop it, if we would say, Holy Spirit, would you deal with my mouth? Am I just spewing salt water everywhere or is it fresh? Is it blessing or is it cursing? And then it says, I put, or if a complaint slips out, I will immediately follow with thanksgiving to God. I need to come behind that stuff and say, man, I'm so blessed. And I need to recount some blessings. And finally, letter D. I will feed and nourish my heart with things that encourage thanksgiving while being careful to guard my heart from those things that lead me towards grumbling or complaining. This is a discipline. I have a couple of websites that I get news from and I've learned that they're affecting me because of their slant. Whether it's a slant toward liberalism or a slant toward conservatism, the slant is always that they're always complaining about something that the other side did. 
And it's nothing but a constant feed of what's wrong with everybody on this earth. Look around at this great group of people here. You know what's right here? God dwells in this group of people. And there is reason for us to rejoice because this group of people carry a gospel that can save souls, that can redeem people in Ball and Pineville and DeVille and out 28 West and up into Grant. This group of people are saved, being sanctified. We're headed for the kingdom to see the King. We can rejoice. We have a lot to rejoice about. Am I saying turn a blind eye to the condition of the world? No, but I think more is changed in the world when we pray about the problems of the world rather than when we complain about it. So let's turn our complaints to prayer and take our thanksgiving to the nations. Would you bow with me for a moment as we consider these things and as I encourage you with a closing word? Thanksgiving is a discipline. And I would want to ask you very personally a question. And I want you to answer very personally. And maybe test the answer with somebody else. Okay? I want to ask you this question. I want you to ask yourself, would my mouth be considered... A thankful mouth. Based on what I say 